Well, this morning we're dipping out of the book of Daniel um, just again for, for one week, and we're going to be taking a second look at um, vision. Um, Chris took us through this, I think it was on the 16th of October. If you haven't listened to that message, could I encourage you to, to go online and have a listen. Um, but today we, I'm going to desperately try not to just do Chris's sermon with a different face on the front of it, so to look at things in a slightly different angle. If we could have the, the PowerPoint up, John. Is this working? Oh, it is working. Right, okay. That makes my life a little bit easier. Um, at our leaders' day, that was a few weeks ago, we felt it was right to re-establish our church vision of 2017. Um, which, if you haven't got a copy of that document, do email into the church office. We would love to get that to you. So you can read through what, as a church, we, we felt that God was saying. There were a lot of Bible verses given to us. Um, there were these three headings that we talked about, about recreating community, about reaching neighbours and growing disciples. All the stuff that we find in the New Testament, but here for our context today. Now, I want to pick up, really, this morning on a couple of the verses that were given to us a number of years ago. Um, one is from John 7, 37 to 38, and the other is an, a passage from Acts chapter 9, but actually setting this in the context of what comes before it, so we can get a bit of an idea, and then we'll sort of unpack the Acts passage. So if you have a Bible in front of you and want to turn to John 7, I'll read verses 38 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. And then if you want to turn to the book of Acts, this is Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to read from partway through verse 19 down to verse 31. If you've got a church Bible there, it's page 1103. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but, Paul, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then this is this key verse. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let's just pray, shall we? And then we'll unpack some of those bits together. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the way 
This morning, you have reminded us that your church is under extreme pressure around the world, persecution and trouble. And as we read the book of Acts, we realise that this has been the same since day one, that to follow you is a costly business. And Lord, I pray that as we unpack these verses this morning, that you will strengthen us to be equipped to follow you, whatever the cost. So by your spirit, just open your word to us this morning, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I made a passing comment in a message that we had a very reliable washing machine. We even had people in church messaging us saying, what type of washing machine is it that you've got? We'd like to buy the same one, because ours has been unreliable. Never, ever, ever boast. What happened? You can guess the story. Monday, we switched the washing machine on. It went, eh. So I did what I always do to repair a washing machine. It's the only thing I know how to do. Empty the filter. Normally, there's one of Claire's hair clips in there, or there's a pound coin or something else. Nothing was in the filter. Switch it on again. Makes that same bizarre noise. It's not going to get going. So what do we do? Well, we end up having to call the repairman. So he says to us, how old is it? Seven and a half years old. Just not worth it. Don't bother. It's too expensive to repair. We can't guarantee that it'll work anyway. So what do we do? What do you have to do? You have to go and buy a new washing machine, don't you? So we spent Tuesday night going to Curry's, walking around all these endless washing machines, trying to find one that was both not too expensive and was actually in stock without a three-week lead time. Three weeks to get a washing machine? You could just imagine what our house with two lads who play football twice a week would be like after three weeks. So eventually, we find one. It's delivered. It was delivered on Friday, and we're all nice and smelling fresh again. But actually, what happens in life is stuff just happens, doesn't it, that takes us by surprise. Who here would want to spend money on a washing machine? Anyone? No? Who has spent money on a washing machine? Right, okay. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a big gulf sometimes between what we want to do and the reality of what actually happens. You know, almost every survey that is done talking about people's well-being and mood and aspirations in life says that most people in life want one simple thing. What do they want to be? They want to be happy. They want to be like the smiley people on the left. Yet YouGov did a survey just this last week, and it said that the most common feeling in people in the UK at the moment was not happiness, but coming in at 44% of the population feeling it, it's going to be stress, stress, anxiety. That's the most common emotion. And so this gulf appears between the two. This is what we want to be, and this is the reality of who we are. Now, Claire was reading something for work this week, and it was about educating children and bringing up children. And this article, it wasn't a Christian article, but it said, don't aim to bring up happy children, because the world is not always a happy place. The world is a difficult place. But aim to build resilience, strengthened, people who are able to withstand everything that life throws at them. Now, Acts chapter 9 is a really pivotal chapter in Luke's history of the early church because it falls after the first martyrdom. It falls after Stephen has been persecuted for his faith and is being stoned to death. We then have Saul, who appears on the scene, and Saul, who later becomes Paul, who then writes a big chunk of the New Testament. 
Saul is a zealot Jew. He's a really keen, law-abiding Jew. And he is after persecuting the Christians. He wants to get rid of them. He goes around issuing murderous threats against them. But actually, what does God do? He shows up. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, on the Damascus Road, the risen Christ appears to Saul in a vision. Totally changes him, transforms him from the inside out. He now believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He goes around preaching that he is the Son of God. And in this curious twist of events, Saul, the hunter of Christians, the one who will be doing the persecuting, becomes Saul, who is the persecuted. And he has to escape. And as we read in that passage, he ends up having to be, um, flee to his hometown in Tarsus. And so we get to this verse that Chris was talking about, that found its way into our vision document in 2017, and that we haven't talked a great deal about since. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So what does all this from the book of Acts have to do with our vision? What does it have to do with where we're up to as a church? What does it have to do with the pressures that we have been under through pandemic, through all the challenges of the cost of living crisis, through the war in Ukraine? And what on earth does it have to do with happiness? Well, hopefully we'll unpack some of those things as we go on. But in Acts chapter 9, and up until verse 31, the church is under pressure. We've heard this morning, as Nick has has powerfully shared with us, that actually it's costly to be a Christian in many places. There is persecution that comes the way of the Christian. There is ridicule. There are problems. There are issues. You name it. It seems to have followed the church around from day one almost, these kind of problems. But there is a flip side, because there's other things that follow the church around, because we're the people of Jesus. There are miracles. There are conversions. There are blessings. There is God breaking into people's lives. There are people freed from the powers of darkness. There are people saved. This also follows the church around. And so as Christians, we end up living in this kind of paradox of the kingdom of God breaking powerfully in through what Jesus has done, but living in a world that is marred by sin and is often opposed to the gospel. And we live in the middle. So verse 31 is one of these little window verses. The church has really been through it. It's been through its ups and downs, and the stress is on. But it's almost as if they come out of the storm that's been raging, and they draw into a harbour place. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat in a storm, or in rocky seas, and you come out, perhaps not this extreme, but you come out of the sea, and the boat goes into the harbour, you get behind the harbour wall, and suddenly everything is still. This is, in a sense, what Acts chapter 9, verse 31, is all about. It's about getting into the harbour. So what happens as the church enters a time of peace? Well, it's a time of recovery. It's a time of being strengthened. This is not a point of destination. They will not stay in the harbour for very long. And as you read the book of Acts, there are lots of chapters where a lot more persecution, a lot more church planting, a lot more missionary journeys take place. But this is a necessary time for the church. They're exhausted. They've been through such a lot. They need to be spiritually refreshed, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how you have reacted to the last two and a half years or so, but I think for many of us, it has been one of the toughest times that we've we've experienced, one of the toughest times we've lived through. No one expected in those first couple of months of 2020 
of what the next two and a half years would hold. We didn't expect it. I remember Chris saying, was it a few weeks ago, you know, we stood up here at the start of 2020 talking about our plans for the year only to find all that taken away from us. And since the start of the pandemic, we have been under pressures, not the pressures of persecution, but the different kind of pressures that we have faced. Things that we couldn't prepare for, things that we didn't expect. And it's been church pressures, it's been global pressures, and we've all had those personal pressures as well of isolation. And for many, that isolation continues, and let's not forget that. And it hasn't been easy. And what we sense, really, is the leadership, is that actually God is calling us, not out of the storm forever, but into a place of peace and calmness to be strengthened, to become resilient people. I also think we need to talk about what has happened. You know, talking is really good. Talking is one of the best ways of working through our feelings. And it's been actually quite difficult, I think, for many of us. We've just ploughed on, haven't we? It's just like the last 12 months, life has slowly started to get some kind of normality to it. And it's just like, oh, well, forget what has happened. Let's not talk about it. It's like the elephant in the room that we don't talk about. But actually, if we want to recover, regroup, reconnect, and move forward, there is that sense which we need to process together. That sense which we need to ask the Spirit to come and refresh and revive us. You know, I'm not sure we've really done that. You know, when I look at what we're doing as a church at the moment, it's more or less the same as what we were doing at the start of 2020. We haven't put much down. We've taken some new things on, but we've just got back on the treadmill and said, is this what we should be doing? And yet, as a leadership, this is where we went on our away day, and I'll talk more about this as we go through. We sense God saying something a little bit different, that actually, that is not the right thing. But we need to think about being strengthened and becoming resilient people. You see, if we want to flourish, if we want to move forward, strengthened, we can't just do it in our own strength. You know, these accounts of the persecuted church, they are not doing that in their own strength. They're not just trying harder. But they are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I was reading an article this week. And just before I tell you about this, I am not doing this to dampen us down or make us feel depressed. But this is just to give a reality of what a lot of the secular press are saying about the church at the moment. So this is from Prospect magazine. I don't know if anyone's come across it. It's a current affairs magazine. And it was a person called Martin Percy who um, was writing. And he was talking about a lot of data that is coming out about the state of the church in the UK at the moment. And he was saying, we are now in the position where every major Christian denomination in the UK is declining. So that includes us as Baptist churches, it now includes Pentecostals, it now includes Charismatics and Evangelical groupings. There isn't a single major grouping that is going upwards. And he makes the very sobering point that by 2040, if we're not re-envisioned and re-strengthened, then most churches will have closed their doors for the last time. Only a few will limp on to the end of the century. And he writes this, post-pandemic, the outlook has become bleaker still, like a pre-Aslan Narnia. Christianity is entering a long winter, but with no sign of a Christmas respite. I don't accept that. I don't accept that. I don't accept that is what Jesus has for us. We see in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus makes a promise. And it's that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And today we see in the global south the complete opposite of what is happening in the global north. The church is growing like wildfire. That is still true on a global scale. The church is still being built. But what's happened is it's not happening here. 
Yet we need to hear good news, don't we? We need to hear the good news of what God is doing. At our leaders meeting on Thursday night, we were saying, wouldn't it be good to hear good news stories about what God is doing in our church? New people joining us, people being baptised in the Gambia. We've got um, stories of what God was doing on Monday night at the light party here, where loads of kids came in, and we're hearing the good news of Jesus being the light of the world. The ministry amongst the Ukrainians, the list goes on and on. But you know, we can't shy away from what the rest of the world thinks of us. We can't just shy away and say, well, because we're we're fairly full on a Sunday morning, everything is okay. We need to come back and say, well, actually, we need to be strengthened. We need to be equipped. We need to be resilient. We need to have that confidence in the gospel and that empowerment of the Holy Spirit if we are going to move forward. You see, we live in a society that is sometimes hostile to the gospel. Yeah, it is. Sometimes we will find people who are hostile. But often, and I think this is more common, people are just indifferent. Just indifferent. I had two conversations this week with two different people outside the church. Um, and it was really interesting because they both more or less said the same thing to me. You know, one of the challenges and great things about being a minister is I get to talk about God a lot. Once somebody says, what do you do for a job? And you're like, oh, I'm a minister of a Baptist church. They say, oh, right, okay. Or they go, hmm, and quickly move off and think I'm some kind of weirdo. Um, but in both these cases, in both these conversations, when I started talking about what I did and faith in God and those kind of things, they came out with a very similar line, and it's along this kind of way of thinking. I'm all for faith if it makes people feel better. If that's a crutch for them, and as long as they don't force it on me, then that's great. That's great. Now, do we accept that? Is that okay? Is that what we should be wanting people to say to us? Because, you see, I read the book of Acts, And I read of a people who are so committed to the gospel that the gospel isn't just about making us a little bit happier. It's not about plugging that gap between stress and happiness. But it's about a glorious truth of a risen saviour who has come and poured his spirit out onto us and gives us purpose and meaning. Now, I am fully convinced that that is the truth. I don't know how fully convinced you are this morning that Jesus is who he says he is. But I am fully convinced, historically, biblically, emotionally, evidentially, all these different things that I could point to. But if we want to share Jesus in our communities, we need to have vision for how to do it. These kind of timelines used to be really popular. Um, You know where it sort of plots the Bible out in a long list and then says, this is what's happening here, there and everywhere. Um, That is my very condensed overview of the Bible. Um, We're somewhere around there. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. We're in the age of the church. Jesus hasn't come back. Those are the things we know. We don't know how far we are towards the end of that, but that's roughly where we are. Until we get to the end, until Jesus returns, as Christians, we need vision for how we're going to share Jesus. We need a a, a goal. We need things that we're going to do in order to make sure the gospel keeps moving forward in power. And those things will always be rooted in what the Bible says. Look at a couple of passages here from things that Jesus said. Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's vision, isn't it? This is what you should be doing. This is the kind of thing that you need to be pressing on with. A slightly more detailed one from Luke 4, 18 to 19, where Jesus um, picks up the words of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's sometimes called the, the Lucan Manifesto, where Jesus sort of lays out his stall and says, this is what I'm about. But this is what we should be about as church. We should be about all these different things, this, you know, bringing good news to the, the physically poor, but the spiritually poor. All those things are sort of both and. To seek God's vision isn't to change any of this for our church, but it's just to ask, how do we do all this in our context? Now, this sort of leads us to where, as the leadership team, we really felt God spoke to us at our away day. It wasn't really as we were expecting. We were expecting to be coming back with a whole list of things we were going to be doing. And actually, God spoke to us a lot more about being, about who we should be, and about receiving from him. About fitting in with what was said about the church in Acts chapter 9. Being strengthened, being allowed to recover from the past, and being equipped for the future. One of my favourite quotes which I can't remember who ever said it. So if you know who said this, let me know so I don't have to just leave it anonymous. It's something like this. It is the role of every Christian in every age to join in with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now, we don't create our own vision. We don't just make stuff up. But we say, Holy Spirit, what is it you're guiding us and leading us to do now? How can we join in? How can we get in step with what you are doing? To seek God on our knees before the Lord and to ask him to direct our paths. Our context is not that of Acts chapter 9. We do not live in first century Israel. We live in Lim and the surrounding areas in the 21st century. And Lim has a population, 12,500. Chuck in Highley, it's about another 1,750. Chuck in Thelwall and part of Grappen Hall, it's another 9,500. 23,700 or thereabouts people. Possibly 3 or 4% go to church have some attachment to a worshipping community. And Jonathan Boyers on our away day in July was reminding us, while there are still 22,700 people who have not yet heard the gospel, who have not yet made a commitment to follow Jesus, who don't know saving faith in him, we need to have a vision for how we're going to do that. We need to work out and be on our knees to saying, what is the Holy Spirit calling us to do? And so as we continue that process, we believe that actually God is calling us to just spend some time being strengthened, to bring that resilience to recover from what has happened and to seek him for the future. And so we felt the Lord really leading us to two very simple things for this next period of time. And the first one is this, reconnect with God. Sounds simple, but it's something we all need to do and need to reevaluate our lives over. When we're under pressure, two things can happen. And I've done both, and you've probably done both as well in your life. One is you run to God and you start to cling to him. The other is you get this whole pile of questions and you run away from God because it feels too difficult to hold on to him. I don't know what your reaction has been over the last two and a half years. I don't know whether you found yourself running to God, whether your prayer life is brilliant, or whether you found yourself actually just grappling with questions of suffering and all these kind of things. If you're like me, then actually what I found I've done is that in March 2020, when the rug was pulled under from all of our feet, a lot of the things that held me spiritually got pulled away with it. And I've struggled, if I'm honest, I've struggled to get back into those patterns of doing the things that brought spiritual life. Whether that is the, the, the basic things of gathering together with other Christians, whether it's more specific things. 
Now, I was chatting um, with Alison in the office just the other day, and I was saying, you know, I've become really bad at ducking out of going to, like, ministers' meetings and things where I'm gathering with other Christian leaders to pray. And I always have the excuse, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. But you know what? That is no good for me, and it's no good for other people. Because I need other people, and believe it or not, other people actually need me to be there as well. And so I, th- I really felt convicted by the Lord that I've got to get back into that as a good habit. If I want to reconnect with God, then I've got to get back to some of those things that brought spiritual life to me. A few years ago, I was at a conference, and a highly renowned, respected Bible teacher, um, I think from India, actually, called Ajit Fernando, was speaking. And he was speaking about how to grow a, a life for Christian ministry um, that can cope with joy and pain. He wrote this book called Joy and Pain in Christian Ministry. And we were sat there for, four, for two days, four sessions of this brilliant Bible teaching. And then he got to his application point, And we're thinking, he's going to come up with something really incredible here. What's he going to tell us to do to get the best spiritual life? And he said this, read your Bible and pray. And you're thinking, we paid to come to this conference. And that's what you've told us. But you know that is true? That is true? If we don't get the basics right, if we don't get back to Sunday school level sort of spirituality, we're not going to flourish. How's your Bible reading today? When was the last time you picked up the Bible and read it with joy? How's your prayer life? Are we praying both arrow prayers, longer prayers, prayers on our own, prayers with other people? If you're in part of a family unit, prayer with your partner, prayer with your family, whatever it is. How are we praying? Are we people that are actually prioritizing prayer? We can move on from that. We can say, well, there are other great things we can do other than pray and read the Bible. We can gather together like today. We can go on a conference. We can go on a retreat. But if those basic things are not in place, we won't be strengthened and we won't flourish. So that's one thing about reconnecting with God. The other thing is about reconnecting with each other. Christianity is not an isolated faith. We read the book of Acts, you find out that it's always done together in whatever way. There have been attempts over the years for people to be a Christian on their own. This is Simon Stylites. He climbed up a pillar in about the year 300 and stayed there till the end of his life. I don't think it did him a lot of good, apart from he had an amazing tan. Um, but he was, that was the kind of way that some people chose to live. But it was a, an experiment that didn't produce a great deal of fruit. Because as Christians, we're better together. We're better connected to encourage one another. And Paul, when he writes these letters from prison... When he's been imprisoned for the gospel, he will say, I long to be with you. I long to share fellowship. We are weaker when we are not in fellowship with other Christians. We need each other. We need to be encouraged, to challenge, to be friends with, to support, to pray for, to minister to. So how connected are we today? How connected are you? We've already heard again this morning about small groups. And small groups are so important if we want to get connected with other people. It's hard with a room full of people. It's much easier when there's seven, eight, nine of you meeting together. Just to mention also, if you're online um, this morning, we do have three of our current small groups which already have Zoom links into them. So if you're online and that is the thing that is right for you at the moment, please do let us know and we would love to get you plugged into one of those groups that already offers hybrid ways of meeting. How are our patterns of connection? Are we prioritizing that reconnection with each other? So what next? What next for us as a church? 
See, the church in Acts 9, verse 31, they enter this time of peace and calmness, but it is not forever. Because the church has to keep moving forward. The vision of the church has to keep pressing on. And so for us as a leadership team, um, we believe that actually these things need to be a priority for the next period of time. Um, Probably six months or so, leading up to Easter, where we won't um, sort of be thinking about other big things at that time, but we will just be saying, Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you bring us resilience? Would you fill us again by your spirit? Would you help us to get the basics back in place? We'll be doing this through Sunday morning teaching, through this um, encouragement to get connected, but also through other things. So you'll notice over the next few months, there'll be other things appearing on the agenda. We're going to do a week of prayer in January. We're going to be looking at sharing meals together. We're going to be looking at um, different ways of encouraging one another. And where possible, we'll make sure there's online links into those as well. Also interesting in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, God doesn't stop moving when the church is being strengthened. What does it say? He added to their numbers. You see, if we are in the right place, if we are rediscovering our confidence and joy in the gospel, then actually that is the most attractive thing to demonstrate the love of God to other people. That we can demonstrate the risen and returning Christ to our communities round about. I'm just going to leave us with that quote from Esther before we just move on to three points just for us to take away with us. If we are confident in the gospel and united with one another... That is the basis for the next period of life and growth at LBC. So can I encourage us over this coming period of time to reconnect with God and reconnect with one another? So three things just to think about as we bring this to a close. How's your prayer and Bible reading? Perhaps take that away with you and have a think about that. Very basic, but it's often those basic things that are so foundational in our faith. Are you connected in some way in the church. If you're not, speak to Roy, speak to Chris. We'd love to get you connected into a small group. But it's interesting. This is the one thing that we can't do on our own. We need to be encouraged, not just by one another, but by the Holy Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit pour into our hearts to be refreshed, revived, renewed. So can I pray for us that that third thing will happen now and let's take those other two things away with us. And I'm going to invite Phil and the music team to come forward. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we pray that by your spirit, you would encourage us. We thank you for for one another. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we pray just as that early church entered into that place of calmness, that place of still waters where they're very being was renewed and strengthened, Lord, that we would experience the same. And that when you call us to move forward in doing different things, in doing new things, in perhaps putting old things down, that we would do so from a position of strength and connectedness to you and with each other. So just in the quiet, it may be that you just want to reach out to God and you just want to ask him by his spirit to fill us. Let's just leave a moment to pray. Yeah, Holy Spirit of God, would you descend like you did on the early church? Would you refresh us? Would you encourage us? Would you gift us, empower us, 
Help us to bear your fruit so that the world might see that you are the Son of God, the crucified and risen Saviour. We pray even now that you would be doing a work in us and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.